This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Actually, he's not worth owning, maybe. Uh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast. The best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. And actually, both do own Eric Carlson in a pool this year. Very exciting. Thank you all for joining us. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, is the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I'm ready for a lovely episode coming up another bye week situation happening next week and then there's going to be like another sort of weird week anyway we'll get all into that pretty quickly but elon first why don't you tell us who we're presented by and it ties in with a guest we'll be having later on tonight yeah, especially excited for this show because it is, as always, presented by DabberHockey.com, which is your top website source for fancy hockey news and all of the information you could get from all their tools, like their starting goalies, line combinations. It's the best. Daily ramblings every day. You've got to read it to know what's the buzz in fancy hockey. And one of the key contributors to Dabber Hockey is Steve Laidlaw, who's going to be joining us, Brian, for the second half of the show. He should be joining us in around an hour, so I'm really excited to talk to Steve. That He's going to be talking about the mid-season guide that has been released. And we're going to ask him all about his thoughts on what he thinks is going to happen in the second half of the NHL season. So we've got a big packed show today. Why don't we get started? Why don't we? I basically need to, we got to really work hard to get through all of our content before Steve joins. And we got to start with a bi-week redux. It's happening again. We just went through this. Congratulations to everyone who was able to do well last week, even though some teams were playing one time, some teams were playing four times. It was a mess. It's happening all again. Next week, Columbus, Calgary, Chicago, Edmonton, Minnesota, all only playing once. Meanwhile, San Jose is playing five times. And Anaheim, Boston, Dallas, LA, Montreal, Islanders, Rangers, Philly, Vegas, playing four times. There's also some teams playing twice. It's going to be tricky because you have to figure out, do I make short-term moves to give me more man games for next week versus the cost of potentially dropping a good player who I might want following that? So it's going to be pretty tricky, and we're going to try to help people out through it. Brian, how did you do last week with your bye week? My bye weeks went pretty well. I'm happy. I, I added Koivu, Aho, Backlund. They were all ads I made for the bye week. They all worked out well. And my teams are no worse for wear in the long term. I've already moved out Aho and Backlund in a weekly league to add Thornton and Perron's big schedule for next week. Uh, both Aho and Backlund seem like guys who made cases to stay on my roster longer term. But in the format that I dropped them in, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for my team. And in uh, in my cupful, I cut Sekera and Parisi loose 
to add Bacchus and Pearson for next week. Koivu, I'm actually thinking I'm going to hang on to. It's annoying to have him take up a roster spot, but I'm hoping my lineup can handle it without another couple streaming games and my longer-term picture will benefit from him hanging on my roster. What a couple weeks he's had looking like the Miku Koivu of old. Well, yeah, I think that I thought that Nino Niederreiter coming back would actually be the thing that would trigger Koivu to do better because it was looking like it was going to be Niederreiter with Koivu and Granlund and then maybe Parisi coming back. I don't know, but now Niederreiter's injured again. It seems like Zucker's playing with Koivu and Granlund. They're doing really well lately. Yeah, that's the tough thing. Like I have Daniel Sedin in the Kakuffle, the Keaton Carl's Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. And I like Vancouver sucks next week. They only play Saturday, or I think they play Saturday and Sunday, but it's a whole week going by without. Uh, game from Daniel Sedin, but I, I feel like I can't drop him. He's been doing so well. So that's the tricky thing. I'll get to a few players. Like you mentioned, you dropped Mikhail Backlund. I want to talk about him before we talk about that. Brian, I just got to throw out a few names really quickly before we get into sort of recapping the week. Names that I think people might want to consider adding next week from teams that have strong schedules. Obviously, we can't go in depth on every single player, but I'll throw some out there for you, okay? Yeah, do it. All right. So, like San Jose playing five games. If you could get like a Timo Meyer who's been on and off the top line, takes a lot of shots, you know, hurdle if it's a shallower league and he's available. Even like a Mark Edward Vlasic on defense, like if you want to benefit from his peripherals, even if he only averages around one or two blocks per game, put that over five games. A five block week or a 10 block week is better than like three blocks a game for someone who only plays three times, obviously. So, I like those guys there. You've got like on Boston, like this line of DeBrusque and Spooner and Krejci is doing well. And also, of course, the Bacchus with Danton Heinet. Like, you know, there's a bunch of guys on Boston who might be available. So take a look there. They're playing four times. Tanner Pearson on LA. He didn't do that great yesterday with the day I added him in preparation for LA's four games, but he's been on the top power play lately. Yanmark and Essa Lindell on Dallas are interesting to me. Then I also want to throw out Travis Konechny as maybe he's going to be my potential streamer of the week. Philly plays four times. He's been on the top line with Giroux and Couturier and doing really well there. So take a look at him. Those are some names of players that I don't plan on bringing up on the show aside from right now. You you just skipped over a couple sharks that I think you just assumed are already on rosters like Joe Thornton and Kevin LeBanc. Uh, one person who might not be on a roster and you didn't mention is Justin Braun, who in five games could help you with your peripherals. Don't expect a lot of points, but shots and blocks are something that he can bring you if your league will reward you for that. By the way, in the chat room here, Kevin is saying there's a Sedin that's a late scratch for today's game. Give us more info. Uh, if a Sedin goes on IR and it's Daniel Sedin, then it might be pretty good for me because then I could just stash him on an IR all week and not have to drop him and not have to waste a roster spot. So is that bad of me to hope that Daniel Sedin maybe has a little bit of a flu? I'm sorry. I'm a bad guy. But Brian, okay, let's go over some players with weak schedules next week that people need your help in deciding if they can stream them or if they must like hold them. You know, Because that's the tricky situation. I want to call this segment Dare I Drop? So I'm going to name some players for you, tell you how they've been doing, and then ask you, like, dare I drop this guy because he's not playing, even though he's doing so well. You mentioned Mikael Blackland, who you did dare to drop. He didn't do much in the first two games last week. You know, Calgary had that big four-game schedule this week, so a lot of people went to grab Flames. Backland, if he was available, was a primo ad since he's been on the top power play. And in his last two games, he's been really good. Like, he had a goal and two assists against Florida, and then he had a power play assist today. Backland's up to 29 points in 45 games on the season, which is a 53-point pace, which is usually enough to hold someone but of course it's that 53 point pace is even like doesn't tell the whole story because Backlund is 10 points in his last 11 games which I'm sure is around the time that he got on the top power play so his career high of 53 points last year looks like it is going to potentially be in jeopardy that's exactly the pace he's on right now but I feel like his stock is rising 
I know you already dropped him, but maybe you could tell us why. Like, does his upside make him worth holding to you now that he's on the top power play and doing really well there? Or do you see him as an always sort of top end free agent, like up and down 50-ish point guy that doesn't need to be held through a week like this? Okay, before we play Dare I Drop, which is a game that could make a return. I, I'm, I'm liking the early... Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we don't know your league settings, right? What your patterns are for uh, adding and dropping free agents, what free agents are available how deep your rosters are. So I'm going to go based on a reasonably deep league. So in shallower leagues where you're constantly streaming, I think most of these guys that you're about to bring up, Elon, are probably droppable as attractive teams are frequently popping up in free agency. But if your player pool is like about 250 players deep, like the Kakupful, for instance, and your top free agents are headlined mostly by a small handful of 45, 50 point forwards who can go on runs from time to time or 30 to 35 point defensemen. That's the sort of format I'll speak to. So Mikhail Backlund, Elon, you mentioned that I dropped him. That was in a league where like he's a, it's a weekly lock, very shallow roster. That's why who I see him is as a, or who he's been is a low fifties guy with potential for big week winning runs. He's won weeks for my teams, also for my opponent's teams through the last couple of years. Definitely has been one of the more impactful streaming options if your league isn't extremely, extremely deep. Uh, Backland is a guy that I would try to hold until he cools off, especially with his ascension to the top power play unit where he has continued to play. And that power play one role could actually shield him, safeguard him from the cool off we're used to seeing from him after runs like this. So no, I would not dare drop Mikhail Backlund. Okay, well, there you go. And here's another flame I want to ask, dare I drop? Uh, maybe even an even better stream this week on Calgary was Michael Furland. He had four straight games where he had one goal and one assist before going pointless versus Florida on Friday, but he had another assist today. So he's on fire. He is back on the top power play, or at least he did get back on the top power play for a couple games. Looks like today he was off again. So he's on and off, but where he does stay is on line one with Gaudreau and Monaghan. I know I bring up Furland a lot on the podcast, but he's so interesting because he keeps getting added and dropped right now. He's on a super hot run. Like, is it dumb for me to ask me, like, who's better between Furland and Backland? It's like, do you prefer top power play or do you prefer top line? The eternal question of keeping Carlson. But like, at the end of the day, Furland did have four straight two-point games. So it seems like he's always going to be a threat to have a big game on that top line because Gaudreau and Monaghan could go off on any day it's not a dumb question Michael Furland like we just got over him playing on the top line and being so so at it for so long you know my line on Michael Furland which is he's played with Gaudreau and Monaghan so often on that top line and even on the top power play and still never really delivered a ton like enough to have sure fire staying power on your roster with that primo deployment here's a small bit on Furland to contextualize his success this year which has him on a 53-point pace. On Furlan's first 150 NHL shots over the course of one part and one full season, he scored just six times. So that's a 4% success rate. In his last 340 shots, he scored 35 times, which is a more reasonable 10% success rate. This year so far, Michael Furland is shooting above 19%. So I'm not really trusting his 50-plus point pace, especially while he's knocked off the top power play. So uh, even though it wasn't, a totally dumb question, Elon. I prefer Backland. Furland still like stays in the conversation as a lineup mainstay in deeper leagues. He's hard to drop because anything can happen when you're third piece on a top line, but nothing does happen about as often as it does. So I prefer Backland and Furland. I would dare drop. 
<laughs> okay. And then, Brian, I feel like maybe it's because of us that Dougie Hamilton is on a hot streak right now because we brought him up being like, what's going on with Dougie Hamilton? Can people let him go? I don't remember what we said. Let's not get into that. Let's just talk about how we lit a fire under Dougie Hamilton, and he is surging right now, a five-game point streak, two goals today. Uh, I don't have a question for you, but just like good job to everyone who held on to Dougie Hamilton. He's obviously a really good player. He takes a lot of shots. I'm sure that's exactly what you were saying. If I recall correctly, he takes so many shots. How can you drop someone like that? And he has shown big, long spurts of offense like last year. And hopefully this will continue this year. I do recall him being a good second half guy last year. So maybe that's something for him. Maybe it takes him a little bit of a while or maybe this is just a small sample size. Okay, Brian, next team I want to talk about. And next player I want to ask, dare I drop, is Jordan Osterley on Chicago we were going nuts for him last week and for good reason. Like he was all of a sudden getting a ton of minutes, like power play time. He was taking like a ton of shots. He was getting points. Like it was going great. He started off this week. If you were adding him, he was again, Chicago four games this week. It was a great week to add someone like him next week though. Only one game. So at the start of this week, he had two assists against Ottawa and the eight, two slaughter of Chicago over Ottawa. But then, you know, three more games for Osterley and nothing, including today, like it was a four, nothing loss to Detroit, another scoreless game for Osterley. So three scoreless games in a row from a guy who wasn't on anyone's radar, like over two weeks ago. And now with Chicago playing only once next week, I want to know, like, I was really excited to have added Osterley in the couple, but now I got to ask, dare I drop Jordan Osterley for next week? Jordan Osterley has just one shot and five blocks over those three scoreless games you mentioned as well. So the peripherals aren't even really there to reward you for hanging on. His ice time had been above 23 minutes for seven straight games, but in his last two, well, it was 22 and a half minutes and then 21 and a half minutes in the most recent one. Not sure how much to read into that, but it's there. I think Osterley on the whole is still someone to be interested in. He's looking pretty good in the role that Chicago has been trying to fill all year with Brent Seabrook, Jan Ruta, Gustav Forsling, Cody Franson. We've seen other guys look good there too for short stretches, but I'm holding out hope that Osterley is going to have a bit more staying power. I would dare drop him. I'm just hoping that if I do drop him, everyone else's interest is squashed by his three very low-key recent outings, and that I can add him back when he's back on a regular schedule. He's the sort of guy that I may try to add like a day or two ahead of when everyone else starts looking at him, if I can afford to, because yeah, I still want to see what he can offer me for another week or two. Yeah, he was actually on the top power play today with Kane, Taves, Schmaltz, and Anthony DeClaire, who we'll get to in a second. So an interesting spot, but I think I will also dare drop Jordan Osterley. So we'll see if my opponents in the couple will be jumping on him early or letting him stay in free agency for the week. Let me ask you a question. If he had, say, one power play point in his last three, like what would it have taken for you to not drop him or were you going to drop him for sure anyway? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because I try very hard in a, as a fantasy hockey player to not be swayed by like, oh, if one of those shots would have gone in, I totally changed my perception on how valuable a player is. Like, I guess I still do see him as similarly as valuable as I did a couple weeks ago. Though, actually, now that I say it, I don't think it's true because I really liked his high shot on goal games that he was putting up a couple of weeks ago when he first got on our radars. Now that he's not shooting as much, I think even if he would have scored a goal like today, I don't think that would have made a difference. I mean, it's tough in the couple. I Every week counts. I don't think I can afford to lose out. Like, if I could drop him for someone who's playing four games next week, that's four games versus one game. That's a huge difference. That could be a difference maker. So, yeah, I think I would still dare drop. But it is a good question. It's something worth considering. I guess if he would have, like, continued a point streak, it would have been a lot harder to drop him if he got a point, like, every single game. Brian, another guy who was on a huge 
point streak is Nick Schmaltz. I wonder if I should stop bringing him up. Like, I still see him in free agency in various things. I just added him in this fan tracks weekly, like, league, the same league that you're in. Well, not the exact same league, but, like, the same format and everything. And, you know, he had a five-game point streak, which was ended against Winnipeg on Friday, then nothing again today. So now it's two games in a row with no points for Nick Schmaltz. But he's just having such an amazing season, up to 32 points in 41 games, a 64-point pace. If you had him in the cupful, Brian, would you be able to bring yourself to drop him if you needed help in the short term? Or do you think like do you think Nick Schmaltz is going to keep up the 64-point pace? He's not going anywhere from the top line and top power play. So I'm curious to know, dare you drop Nick Schmaltz this week? I dare not drop Nick Schmaltz this week. I'm hanging on, not to say that I'm a big believer that he's going to be able to finish the year with more than 60 points. He is shooting up near 20%. And uh, keep in mind that his fantastic 60-plus point pace has been largely powered by an eight-game stretch that ended two games ago in which Schmaltz notched six goals and six assists for 12 points, uh, 15 shots on goal in those eight games, which isn't great. He had a 40% shooting percentage, although it's a little more reasonable in number knowing that three of his tallies did come in higher percentage power play situations. That said, I think he's still shooting a little too successfully for my taste to believe that he will still surpass 60 points. So I'll take him like 55 to 60 points, which means I dare not drop him. Okay, well, that is very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, how can you drop someone who's on the top line and top power play with Patrick Kane? That used to be for sure. This year, like, it's, he's been amazing for stretches, but then there's also been some cold stretches. Like, maybe playing with Patrick Kane isn't as valuable as it was a couple of years ago when Kane got, like, 100 and whatever points and won the Art Ross Trophy. But yeah, I agree with you. Okay, since we're on Chicago, about the goalie situation, really hard to hold on to Glass or Forsberg next week. The Hawks only play once, and, like, it's like I have no idea who's going to play. Probably Forsberg will play. I think they were really dumb to play Glass today. Forsberg had two good games to start the week. Though then I guess Glass had a really good game, and so then they decided to put him again, but then he kind of blew it today. Though Chicago didn't score any goals, so I guess it wouldn't have mattered either way. Anyways, I feel like with this situation being so 50-50, there's no point in holding either one of those goalies, unless goalies are super deep. Like, still no word on Corey Crawford, though. So I think in the like long term, if Crawford stays out, Anton Forsberg will be the number one goalie and get a lot of starts. So if he gets dropped in your league, I think he's a really good guy to keep a watch on and add like later in the week, just like what you were saying about Osterley but yeah okay for now I think you could forget about those goalies and then let's bring up this trade and then Brian you could comment also on the goalies I'll I'll bring it up yeah so Anthony Duclair got traded to Chicago from Arizona uh some other players were involved Panic, Dauphin, Glendening like these aren't guys who are really uh fantasy relevant except for potentially Anthony Duclair like a lot of people jumped on him were excited about adding him taking a flyer on him when they saw that this trade was made he had an assist in his debut for the Hawks but he only played 11 minutes and 57 seconds in that debut. He was playing on line three with Debrinket and Kampf. Today, obviously, no points. But he did get top power play minutes, which is crazy. I was not expecting that for Anthony Duclair. That's definitely something to watch. I definitely wouldn't be holding him. I'm not even going to ask, dare I drop? Though I've never been super high on Anthony Duclair. So maybe you could tell me if I'm crazy to not even want to ask you, dare I drop Anthony Duclair? Because I never even would have added him. The question is probably, dare you add Anthony Declare and have him burn a roster spot until Saturday while he doesn't even play? Thing with him is there is upside, but he's never really come through. Declare did have a 20-goal rookie season in which he scored on 20% of his shots, and he didn't take a lot of shots, and he finished with 44 points on the air. And that's it. That's what he has to his name, despite certainly having holes available for him to step into an Arizona from which you would have hoped for him to produce. So with a new opportunity in Chicago, we'll see if Duclair can make good on some of the upside that remains. 
getting power play one minute is a good start, but not a slam dunk. A lot of people have Anthony Duclair confused for someone with a huge pedigree or even like a first round pick. But just in case you didn't know, he's a third round 80th overall pick who has struggled in the AHL this year as well. So at this point, I give him no higher billing than I would any of the other cast of complimentary characters in Chicago. If and when Duclair starts consistently getting and cashing in on opportunities, then let's pick up this conversation again. But for now, I dare not add Anthony Duclair. And then I'm going to circle back to the goalies, Elon Glass, Forsberg, just in case you haven't been following Jeff Glass since Crawford's been out. Three very good starts, three very bad starts. Anton Forsberg has had four very good starts and one very bad start. So I'm going to go Forsberg. That's still sort of me continuing to will it to happen, but the back and forth we've seen between them means you probably don't need to stay married to either guy over the bye week unless you know you'll be desperate for a goalie later on. If you really want to keep one, my money is still on Forsberg. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, let's go to the Sedins. Now, I brought them up before. It's Daniel Sedin who had back spasms and was held out of today's game. So I will, Brian, get this relief in the couple. And I don't have to worry about, dare I drop Daniel Sedin because he will be on my IR. But of course, in the couple, we have this IR plus. Like, he doesn't have to be on the injured reserve. Some people might have to, you know, still keep him on the roster because I'm sure he's just going to be day-to-day. Hopefully, it's just back spasms. Come on. Anyways, but the Sedins are doing so well. Like, okay, so they're up to 29 and 31 points, respectively, on the seasons. That's Daniel and Henrik. If you, if you need to know specifically over the past month, Henrik has 12 points, all assists in 12 games. And Daniel has 11 points, four goals and seven assists. These numbers are what we used to see from the Sedins of old. This is fantastic. So now, and they don't even need Marcus Nasland with them to put up these numbers. How about that? They're playing with Erickson for a little bit. And okay, anyway, so now with Vancouver only playing two games over the weekend, like the question is, dare I drop? These guys are doing well. Do you expect them to keep up this like 65 point pace that they seem to be capable of doing based on what we've been seeing recently? Or do you think they're going to go back to sort of being borderline ads and owns? Like, let's say forgetting about this bye week, do you think the Sedins are players? And let's specifically talk about Daniel Sedin because he's like the really good one to own in leagues that don't only count points because of shots on goal and everything like that. Like, do you think Daniel Sedin is going to be someone who I'm going to want to hold all year in the couple? He's going to continually be valuable to me. Or do you think he's going to have like some five game pointless streak at some point and I'm probably going to want to drop him well actually that's interesting what you said about the five game pointless streak like if that comes you're going to want to drop him because you just mentioned their last 12 games but inside those last 12 games in which they were successful there was a four game silence from both of them where they each put up four consecutive goose eggs on the score sheet that was part of those 12 games you hung on you weathered the storm you reaped the benefits of being patient. I feel like if you want to keep them, that is going to be part and parcel of it. So not the Sedins of old playing for you all the time, but maybe a glimpse of the Sedins of old, followed by plain old Sedins, who you'll then hope to flash that storied greatness again. I will add that for both Sedins, their underlying individual even strength numbers are showing them closer to their 60-point seasons two years ago than their 50-point season last year. And their on-ice even strength numbers are actually looking even better than that. There's a huge jump in on-ice shot attempts and on-ice shots on goal per 60 minutes. Like, I'm talking huge, more than eight more attempts per 60 minutes compared to the last two years. And they're actually giving up a few less shot attempts against as well while they're on the ice. So yeah, I'm going to say that if you're dropping a Sedine there is a chance that you're dropping a 55 to 60 point player, even though they might be inconsistent. So dare you drop? That depends on if you think they'll sit in free agency long enough 
for you if they're still perceived by your opponents to be old, boring, unreliable Sedins, and then you can re-add them when their two games come along later this week. But I may feel inclined to at least hold Daniel to get those extra shots on goal. If you sense he'll get snapped up and no other guys with 55, 60-point upside are going to be available to you. Yeah, very reasonable. And hey, at least they play both games on the weekend. It's not like Chicago who only has one game a week. Uh, and by the way, I like I said, the Cities were back playing with Louis Erickson on Friday, and Erickson had an assist. So who knows, if you're in a super deep league and the Sedins are like long gone, maybe Louis Erickson could be a sneaky late week ad to get those two weekend games. And Brian, it's great to hear that you're saying they're doing better at even strength because they're also really benefiting on the power play from playing with Brock Besser, who was like unstoppable. So I love that. And there's, there's lots to love about owning the Sedins in fantasy hockey. Okay, Brian, this team is the one, I could have started the show with this team, but I thought, well, you know, let's save a little bit. But this is the team I'm sure everyone wants to hear us talk about right now. And that is the Tampa Bay Lightning. I started the show by using old openings I've used when we've been excited about Vladislav Nemesnikov and Andre Vasilevsky, but right now it's not looking like these guys are so great. But let's start with Nemesnikov. And by the way, I think Vasilevsky is still great, just spoiler. But okay, uh, like we talked last week on the show, like while we were recording, we saw that Tampa Bay had shaken up their lines and it was like huge news, like huge fancy implications because Nemesnikov has been on line one pretty much all year with Kucherov and Stankos and he had such an amazing start. We all remember he, he went from someone who was probably in free agency to start the year to being one of the top fantasy assets available, but now he's been bumped like offline one off power play one in fact Nemesnikov has been on line three and like on the second power play and it's not looking too great for him like first of all Tampa has a week schedule next week only Thursday Saturday and Nemesnikov so he had two assists in his first game on line three last Sunday but then he went pointless in his next two games he's also off the top power play like I said he had three pointless games before getting demoted which I'm sure led to him getting bumped off that top line and top power play so, like, he's down to 35 points in 44 games on the season. Again, I'm talking about Nemesnikov. And he was, like, a point-per-game guy for the first couple of months. So that's a really huge drop. I can't imagine he could come anywhere close to maintaining the 65-point pace that he's currently on from the third line. So, like, how long do people need to hold on to Vladislav Nemesnikov? Like, is now the time to let go now that Tampa Bay's not even going to play till next Thursday? They're on a bye week? Or do you hold on with the hope that after the bye week, he gets back on line one in power play one where he had so much success earlier on in the season? I feel like there's a chance that could happen. Like Tampa got destroyed by Calgary 5-1 in their last game. So if there's ever a reason to shake things up, maybe they're deciding, okay, everyone's resting. Let's reset and go back to how we started the year. So it's a really tough situation. So would you dare drop Vladislav Nemesnikov? That is the difficulty here with Nemesnikov because I'm curious to see one more game. Like you said, maybe we see the deck shuffled back to the way it was before they were drubbed in Calgary. By the way, how hot are the flames right now? And Mike Smith is crushing it. But back to Nemesnikov, if this is where he stays, he doesn't deserve a roster spot on your fantasy team. Of course, dropping him has you running the risk of an opponent adding him who may not even realize he's off the top line and thinking that he's still playing with Stamkos and Kucherov. Uh, Then the opponent is going to cash in when Nemesnikov does get back up there, which really does seem like something that's going to happen at some point. But in the meantime, only hold Nemesnikov if you feel like you can wait and see long enough for that to happen. If your lineup needs all the help it can get in the short term, you may dare drop him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is the thing we told people about earlier on the year when Nemesnikov was so hot. We've kind of said like might be worth selling high because at any moment his fantasy value can plummet. And now it has good luck trading him for anyone. We'll try to trade him to that guy that you just did an impression of Brian that doesn't realize that he's off the top line. That's the first, you got to, if you have Nemesnikov right now, and if somehow you can like send a trade offer to someone who's not really paying attention and that just looks at his total numbers, like definitely now's the time to try to get back a 65 point guy. No question. Uh, so anyways, with this whole line shakeup in Tampa, we have to mention some players who have really bad 
benefited. We've got Point and Palat, who both jumped up to the top power play and are looking great. We've got Chris Kunitz on line one with Kucherov and Stamkos, which I still can't believe. Ryan, do you have any interest in Kunitz at all while he's there? Like, he has zero points and only one shot over his last two games while he's been there. So small sample size. But, you know, you'd think on the top line you could be able to do something. He actually did have a goal versus Carolina, but it was called off for what it's worth. And yeah, like I'm curious what you think about Kunitz. Also, someone like Andre Palat interests me because we've held him actually all year in our joint league, even though like he's been sort of on our fringe. There's been interesting phrases that have come up and we've been like, maybe it's time to finally drop Palat. He's like on the second line, not on the top power play. Now he's on the top power play. I'm really excited that we held on to him. He already has four points in his last three games. I think it's going to be a big second half for Andre Palat. And then Braden Point, what can I say? He's already having an amazing season and now he's just for sure going to keep going now that he's on the top power play if he stays there. And how about Tyler Johnson, who now has 26 points, 12 goals, and 14 assists in his last 21 games? Yeah, he's shooting near 23%. No big deal. Uh, So, of course, we can't expect it to continue. But uh, what a heck of a run from him. As for Chris Kunitz, Elon, he seems to me like a Michael Furland light. Like, who couldn't pick up points on that top line? So it seems inevitable that Kunitz is going to get one or two here and there for as long as he's in that spot, which... Again, who knows how long that's going to be. So he's not someone I'm rushing to add. As for Palat, I am, yeah, I'm more interested in him than Kunitz for sure. He's seen a few cold snaps this year. Palat's gone pointless in three straight games on four different occasions this year. But Palat also generally rewards you if you hang on. And being in a better spot now, of course, could help him do that more consistently. Yeah, though that top power play has taken a big hit because Victor Hedman was injured in the game against Calgary. He had a knee-on-knee collision with Garnet Hathaway, and he's going to be out three to six weeks. Very sad. Of course, we didn't know after that hit. Someone posted on our Facebook group. I'm not going to name names here, but someone was like, Hedman out for the season, and everyone just like totally lost. Like, what? No. Oh, no. They were like, what's your source? And then it turned out that there was there was a source. It was like his friend told him. It was pretty funny. And then he deleted the post. Brian, you probably didn't even see it, but it happened on like a weekday. But anyways, yeah, so he's going to be out three to six weeks. He'll be back in time for your fantasy playoffs, so it's not as if you're done if you have Victor Hedman but you know we spent a bunch of time on the podcast doubting if Hedman was worth his high draft position in most leagues this year like he you know I had 70 points or whatever last year he was looking amazing but hey you know he's put up 33 points in 44 games so far this year which is a 61 point pace so not 70 plus but still extremely valuable and yeah it's a huge blow to his owners unfortunately I can't really think of any advice for this situation like Mikhail Sergachev took Hedman's spot on the top power play after the injury he's obviously a must add while Hedman is out but he was already pretty much a must add before like I'm sure he's already taken in most leagues if somehow Sergachev is available to you yeah for sure jump on him I guess like now Anton Strahlman jumps onto the second power play with Gourd, Johnson, Kilorn, and Nemesnikov, which is okay. And hey, Sergachev was worth owning before in that spot. So should people be looking to add Strawman now, expecting Sergachev-like numbers while Hedman is out? Like overall, Strawman's had a very disappointing season. He only has 12 points in 42 games. Hard to get excited about him unless you think that this like bump in the roster and the second power play time is worth something. Sergachev-like numbers would have Strawman being on a 49-point pace. And no, I don't see that happening for Anton Strauman. He does not have the same offensive flair as Sergachev does. I don't think he turns, although the second unit is still fairly talented. So he could collect more points than before, but no, I'm not expecting him to suddenly be an above 45 point pace guy. He's had opportunities over the last couple of years where we're like, is he still worth owning? And he's never cashed in on them. I don't expect that to start happening now, unless for some reason he ends up on the top power play. Right, I guess it's not out of the question that Sergachev could get bumped at some point. He is in just his rookie season. So add Strauman to your watch list, but I definitely wouldn't be adding him, especially not now when Tampa doesn't play until Thursday. Brian, finally, 
Are you concerned at all about Andre Vasilevsky? If you owned him, would you be concerned going into this bye week? Obviously, no one's dropping Andre Vasilevsky. He's had an amazing season so far. He's a 930 save percentage. He has 27 wins. So, like, he could have over 50 wins if he keeps up this pace, which would be insane. But Vasilevsky has stunk in his last three games. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Like, he's had three straight bad games, less than 875 save percentage in each of them. And we have to remember, Vasilevsky's never played a full season as a starter. Is it possible he's hit some sort of a wall? Or even if not, I feel like it's almost certain that his save percentage will go down at least a little in the second half. Like, he can't be a 930 guy all season long. So, yeah, I'm curious to know your thoughts on him. I personally feel like it may be worth considering trading Vasilevsky now and get, like, a really good goalie in return, but, like, someone who's not considered as viable as Vasilevsky, and then also getting, like, a skater upgrade. Like, let's say if you'd be able to trade Vasilevsky for, like, Gibson or Bobrovsky or Quick or Dubnik and like plus a win in another piece like you send a defenseman to get back a better defenseman I think I would do something like that curious to know what you think this is just a three game slide for Vasilevsky let's have some perspective here like Vasilevsky had literally just posted three shutouts in the five games prior to this little little dip so I just don't know that Vasilevsky was feeling fine after 33 starts and he started 34th and started feeling really tired and he's never going to recover. Last year, Andre Vasilevsky started 47 regular season games and held a 917 save percentage. He was a 918 over his final 10 appearances of the year. So I expect him to be able to still do at least that well. I wouldn't look to deal Vasilevsky for any of the guys you mentioned unless I know I'm getting an upgrade on my return. But... That said, if you're really planning ahead, it sure seems like Tampa is going to lock down their playoff spot a lot sooner than Jonathan Quick's LA Kings will or Devin Dubnik's Wild or John Gibson's Ducks. So those might be a group of guys that you want on your team more than Vasilevsky because you don't really have to worry about them being rested down the stretch for playoffs because their teams will be fighting for it. So if you do trade Vasilevsky for one of them, that would be my justification. I know I would still want a real great upgrade back. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was suggesting. I was saying now's your time to get a goalie who I think might be just as good as Vasilevsky or close enough for the second half of the season, plus a really good upgrade. Yeah, I wouldn't do it one for one for sure. But Brian, like even in your answer, you were like, blah, 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 blah. Therefore, for sure, I wouldn't trade Vasilevsky. Like you were saying like average numbers. Like you were saying like, oh, he had a 918 save percentage over this stretch and 917 over that stretch. Like right now he's at 930. Like I think that he's currently overperforming. And the fact that he's never played a full season as a starter just makes me think maybe I'd rather be like you know sell him get like amazing return for him and get back a goalie who has done it before like quick you know or like Dubnik like these are guys you could probably rely on they're, they're not just going to fall off a cliff obviously you never know with goals it's really hard I don't like, but I, when, I, I'd, I'd also want to like be sending like Justin Falk and getting back like Pitrangelo in that trade as well like it's a win for everything anyways just my opinion I'm a little concerned as Vasilevsky has never done this before and he's starting to be cold but I know you're saying it's just three games what am I even talking about and did you hear the part where I said over 47 starts? He was a 917 goalie. What part of that makes you concerned that he's suddenly going to get tired and post sub 900 for several more games consecutively? Oh, I definitely don't think he's going to post sub 900, but I think if he becomes 917, that's a big difference than the 930 he's put up so far. I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. I'm just saying maybe he's not going to be the undisputed number one most amazing fantasy goalie moving forward like he has been in the first half. That's all I'm saying. Okay. 
Okay. All right. So, Brian, we've still got a bunch of hot streaks and cold streaks and all that stuff to get to, as well as a guest appearance by Steve Laidlaw. But before we get to that, let's thank one of our sponsors for this week's episodes, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Man, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be so complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. No more of this. Oh, like this is the price, but then at the very last second, it turns out that, oh no, there's a bunch of fees. It's actually like $50 more. No, I just want to see the price and I want to be able to buy my ticket and know what I'm going to pay when I get to check out. Plus with SeatGeek, you have this great user experience where you can sort by value. So you can sort by price, of course, but you can also sort by like how valuable is this ticket price compared to what it would normally be, which I really like and enjoy. And you know what? I'm going, Brian, to a game. The Leafs versus the Islanders at the end of the month. My wife got me for my birthday tickets to that game. So if there's any people in Toronto that want to go to that game, we can, we can say hello. Buy your tickets over at SeatGeek. It's great. And plus, if you still think the prices for tickets are high, and hey, Leafs tickets, they're not cheap. So how about a little bonus discount for the listeners of Keeping Carlson? Yeah, our listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code Keeping. Do that right now. Do it today, and that'll get you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase with the promo code KEEPING. Be a geek. Buy a seat with SeatGeek. I'm waiting. If they give us a slogan, I'll say their slogan, but I want to say a slogan, so I'm going to say my made-up slogan until we get something else. All right, Brian, let's get into some hot streaks now. Some players who have really turned things on lately, some of them with good schedules next week, some of them not, but we can't only talk about next week's schedule. we got to look long-term, and one guy who's looking really good right now is Kyle Ocposo, who had a terrible start for the Sabres, was dropped in all of my leagues at some point. He was drafted in all of my leagues, and now he's definitely been dropped in all of them, but it's now time for people to get back on the horse. He had three assists versus Winnipeg on Tuesday, a goal and an assist versus Columbus on Thursday. He's been playing on line one and power play one with Eichel and company over the past few games. You can't ask for a better situation for Kyle Ocposo. Like back when he was slumping and we recommended dropping him on the podcast, he was like on the third line and not on the top power play. Like the coach had no faith in him. Right now he's rolling and he's on the top line, top power play. So do you still see Ocposo as just a streamer? You know, someone, he only has 19 points in 40 games. So that's what he had before this stretch. Or is he someone you at this point would be rushing to add? Like, are you back to thinking of Ocposo like you did when you drafted him at the start of the season? Or are you somewhere in the middle? What are your thoughts? I'm definitely not where I was when I drafted him going into the season. It is great to see Kyle Ocposo on track, but I'm not losing my mind over his five points in two games. We did mention him recently, like last week or the week before, as a guy who's at least re-emerging as a reasonable fantasy own but even in his best stretch this year uh, which came before these last two games he had three goals five assists for eight points in 14 games 32 shots he was still going at less than a 50 point pace I'm rushing to add him maybe in super deep leagues where 50 point upside is rare but otherwise I'm pretty content to wait until he plays games again after the bye week to make a move. He does play three in the week before the All-Star break, so keep an eye on him for those purposes. As for his place in the lineup, it's great that he's worked his way back up there, and they're sure, yeah, there's still upside for 55-60 if he sticks on that top line and shows us some of that vintage Ocposo. But that's what we said for the first few weeks of the season. He did get to spend significant time on that top line, or at least in the top six before getting demoted, and uh, didn't get him very far or his owners. So yeah, I'm not all that interested in adding him in a light week right now, but looking ahead to the All-Star week where he plays one extra game, that might be a time when I take him for a spin. 
if you can, because uh, I pumped his tires pretty hard just now. Maybe other people in your leagues that are listening might grab it. All it takes is one person to grab Kyle Ocposo, and he's gone. And, like, this is a guy who, if you would have seen him dropped after the first week of the season, you would have been like, like, it's hard to even put yourself back in that mindset of being like, oh, my God, Kyle Ocposo's available? And now it just seems like uh, another another day, another day of Kyle Ocposo in free agency. But I don't know. It might become a rare thing again. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, also, nice to see Ryan O'Reilly heating up. He has two goals and three assists in his last three games. It felt like a disappointing season that he'd been having but like overall at this point he's up to 30 points in 43 games which is a 57 point pace which is like not amazing like I kind of saw him as potentially having 65 plus point upside but you know that's surging that 55 or 57 point pace that he's on right now seems to be going up I feel like no way he should be a free agent in any league at the very least like if O'Reilly's available in FA I would definitely recommend adding him and I feel like there were times when I was considering dropping him. Like I have them both in the couple and in our joint league, Brian. And there have been times when we considered dropping him. And actually now that I recall, we did drop him in our joint league. And then I, and then someone else added him. And then I felt like all this remorse, but then that owner dropped him. And then I grabbed him back. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Ryan, I won't let you go again. So like, what do you see for him going forward? Like you like him better than Ocposo, right? I like him better than Ocposo. And that's the quagmire about O'Reilly because I know in, he's on your roster, I think is in the cupful and we have him in our joint league. And he's been on the bottom of both of those rosters a lot. When you're searching for a streaming spot, his name is like flashing in red as the guy to be streamed. But of course the upside is there. I think 55, 60 points is about where he belongs. Cashing 70 or even above 65 on Buffalo, that's a pretty tall order for anyone. I think it would take a higher end superstar approaching talent to get that done. And I don't think Ryan O'Reilly is that guy, but he will be one of the leading scorers on Buffalo. And you have to hope that's good for 55, 60 points. Well, yeah. And by the way, like last year, he had 55 points in 72 games, which is more than a 60 whatever point pace. And the year before, he had 60 points in 71 games, both on Buffalo, which is also close. Like that's like a 65 point pace right there. So he has done it before. Maybe this year it's looking harder than most, but I don't know why they like they have some good players there. By the way, Brian, I know you've seen my notes now, so you know, but maybe for the people listening like or Brian, did you know who was playing lately on line one and who has been with Eichel and Ocposo? It's a name that we haven't mentioned on the show in a long time. Did you know? I did know, but why don't you share it since you you're you're the presenter here? Yeah, maybe I should like the problem is I'd love to like hide it in the notes so that you don't see it. I get to actually you know surprise you and we could have some fun, but then you wouldn't have anything prepared to say. But yeah, it's Benoit Pouliot has been on line one on Buffalo with Eichel and Ocposo. Like honestly, I don't even recall it. When did he get to Buffalo? I remember him playing with the Oilers, and I think he was playing with Taylor Hall and he was doing well. Like this is already like a few years ago, and then I've totally forgotten about him. Like he's a guy we used to talk about on the podcast a lot as a sneaky ad on Edmonton. He actually scored a goal and played 17 minutes and 43 seconds on Thursday after doing nothing like forever and being more like an 11, 12 minute, like, you know, nobody guy. Do you have any interest in Benoit Pouliot now that he's on line one? Like, who do you like better between Pouliot and Chris Kunitz in the battle for best random top liner right now? Well, Pouliot got to Buffalo because obviously he's a reasonable top nine forward and that just isn't good enough in Edmonton to stay on the team. They bought him out in Edmonton. He had two years left on his contract there after they had scratched him a bunch of times. And then, yeah, he signed with the Sabres on a cheap deal one year, just over $1 million. As for if I would like him or Kunitz, I'm going to go Chris Kunitz, but either guy probably has a similar chance of contributing for you. I just think Kunitz will be on the ice for more goals for, which will help increase his chances of being a part of them. Hmm, interesting. I don't know. I just have something in my head that says, like, don't add Chris Kunitz. How how can that possibly last? At least I feel like Benoit Pouliot, there's not as many great options to bump him from the top line for whatever that's worth. 
So, okay, well, I only said Chris Kunitz because you told me to choose one of the two. Are you telling me that you would add Benoit Pouliot over Chris Kunitz? Yeah, I guess I sa- I'm saying I am. But I, it's probably like neither one is going to be worth owning for too long. But we'll have to see. That's that's like even would be a really silly thing to track. Okay, and next, guy on a hot streak similar to Kyle Ocposo, someone that was drafted in all leagues and then was dropped after a while when people started to realize, oh, maybe this guy isn't that good after all. But Nick Felino is finally heating up on Columbus. He has four points in his last four games after putting up a really sad 14 points in his first 42 games of the year. So he was useless. I think even worse than Ocposo but you know Nick Foligno now like two of those points by the way of those four in his last four games have come on the power play which makes sense as he's recently been promoted to the top unit with Dubois, Panarin, Jones and Wierenski. Uh Felino was still only on the third line on Friday paired with Lucas Sedlak and Matt Calvert so I'm not sure we'll be able to expect many even strength points from him and also Columbus by the way only plays Thursday next week so definitely not worth jumping on Nick Felino right now to get one game in the whole week but once the bye week garbage is over he seems like someone that should at least be on your radar now right like top power play doing well what do you think about Nick Felino well you saw this coming Elon as Felino's deployment improved you said he's worth a try in a week where Columbus was busier than many other teams and he was and the hits are still coming too so he's even more worth a shot in leagues where you're going to get credit for those by the way, I mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's also on that top power play and also on line one with Panarin and Josh Anderson, but he's actually been cold lately. Only three points in his last seven games. He's been actually dropped in a couple of my leagues. Uh, is it like, like now that I have Dubois and Felino available, is there any reason to target Felino over Pierre-Luc Dubois, even though PLD is the one that's on both the top line and the top power play? That would make no sense, right? But there's something in my mind that says maybe Nick Felino's the guy. No, I think you should listen to your gut. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It could reverse if their deployment situations change, although Pierre-Luc Dubois has been where he has been for a little while now, so it seems like that's unlikely. Felino, I just, I can't get with him being on the third line and being a totally relevant fantasy producer, so maybe you can still stream him in if he fits into your schedule well, but I'm not going so far out of my way to add him. If it's him or Pierre-Luc Dubois, I'm sticking with Dubois. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And definitely the guy you don't need to add on Columbus or hold on to is Alex Wenberg. He returned from his injury on Thursday to continue his disappointing season that he had been putting up before he got injured. He has no points and no shots in the two games that he's been back so far. He's been on line two with Jenner and Bjorkstrand, which isn't horrible, but I feel like there's no reason to hold him, especially if he counts shots. He's gonna like he's well below replacement value there. I'm not even gonna ask you about Alex Wenberg. Like, let me know if you need to interrupt to tell people, no, no, there's something that I'm missing about Wenberg. He's looking like a complete snoozer. Too bad, but there was a lot of high hopes going into the season for him, but that obviously assumed that he was going to be playing with Artemi Panarin. If you could play a cricket sound effect, this is where it would go. Okay, maybe I could put it in editing, but almost for sure I won't do that. Okay, time for everyone. Next hot streak. Time for everyone, I think, to jump back on the hashtag Team Dadanov bandwagon. If you jumped off, when he came back from his injury, he wasn't given his line one power play one spot with Barkov and Huberdo immediately, and he definitely struggled. Without being in that top deployment, he only put up three assists in nine games, but that's over now. Dadanov is back on line one, back on power play one. He has two goals and three assists in his last four games. He had two goals and eight shots on Friday versus Calgary. Again, this is one of those interesting schedule situations. Like Dadanov only plays, or like Florida only plays on Friday and Saturday of this week. So theoretically, if he's still in free agency for you, you could wait till like Friday morning and then add Dadanov then enjoy another player in that roster spot in the meantime. But of course, you're risking another owner picking him up. And I feel like you would kick yourself because he seems like the same primo guy that I said you had to own at the start of the year. Like Barkov is having such an amazing season. Huberdo is a stud himself. How could you not want Dadanov playing with them and even strengthen on the power play? I concur. 
All right, so we can move on. New Jersey, I think it's time for people to take a look at Travis Zajac. He's been centering line two with Palmieri and Johansson, and he's been on the top power play with Palmieri, Hall, Boyle, and Butcher. He had no points yesterday, but Zajac had three goals and two assists in the four games before. And he's a guy, if you recall, last year, no one was into him at the start of the year, but he became pretty fantasy relevant before having a sad injury to end his season. I really do like Travis Zajac. New Jersey has an okay schedule this week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I would take a look and consider him like, you know, a lot of people sort their free agents by, you know, total points on the year and things like that. And you're not, or, you know, percentage owned and you're not going to see Travis Zajac, but flag him at least on your watch list and keep an eye out while he's on the top power play with Taylor Hall and online too. I think you could do a lot worse. Yeah. Now he has five points in his last five games with that one most recent scoreless effort. Four of those five points were primaries as well. So yeah, you should definitely be looking at him. Elon, you're right that sometimes these are the kinds of guys that you can't find just by looking at percentage owned and they get lost when you're ranking by season long stats. Zajac's time on ice is also up near 20 minutes for the most part. Right now, he definitely beats a guy like, say, Adam Henrique that you may still be carrying or considering as an added center on your team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Henrik, total snoozer. Ever since Kessler came back, we knew there was going to be no reason to hold Henrik over on Anaheim. Okay, the Islanders had a huge game yesterday. I feel like we have to talk about them just because of this game. They pounded the Rangers and Andre Pavlik 7-2. Barzil, two goals, three assists. Everly, four assists. And because Andrew Ladd is injured, Anthony Beauvillier, the third on that second line, got in on the action at two goals and one assist. So, okay, obviously Barzil, like you can't add him. Everly's not going to be available. But how about this Anthony Beauvillier? The Islanders play four games next week. He looks like he could be a really good streaming option on this line with these two great players, or especially Barzil's a great player. I guess, Everly, the debate is still on. I know you think he's fantastic. But regardless, Anthony Beauvillier, what do you think of him? Is he someone people should be looking to target for next week's good schedule on the Islanders? It doesn't seem like, uh, by the way, Andrew Ladd has been put on IR now, so I don't think he's going to be back anytime soon. With a good schedule, yeah, you can consider him. He's not that different than, say, Travis Sajak or Kyle Acaposo. So you can consider him in that vein. I may be more interested in him, though, than like Benoit Pouliot and Chris Kunitz. So he could rank above them. It's a funny place for him to be. I'd like to see more of him before really committing to a viewpoint one way or another. But if you're looking to fill a streamer spot, especially in deeper leagues where he might not be owned, good name to keep in mind. By the way, Brian, I totally didn't catch on to this, but Chris just said in the chat room, this is hilarious. This line that we're talking about, the Islanders' second line that we're saying is on fire, entirely players that were owned by Edmonton or like the draft pick was owned by Edmonton. Barzil, Eberle, and Beauvillier. That is pretty wild. That could have been the Oilers' second line. Ugh. Anyway, okay, by the way, Josh Bailey's expected to return next week. So, you know, we were looking at Alan Quine on line one with Tavares and Lee. Forget about Alan Quine because Bailey will be back. Probably that will mean Eberly gets bumped from the top power play, but whatever. Uh, Brian, we had a question from patron Chris saying like, uh, Elon and Brian, can we start tomorrow's podcast with a minimum 10 minutes talking about Matt Barzil? So I know it's not the start of the show and I don't think we have 10 minutes to, to devote to Matt Barzil at this point, but you want to give us a minute? Yeah, I'll give you, well, you can start the timer if you like, and we'll see where it ends up. You look at players who have had uh, five-point nights as a rookie. Evgeny Malkin did it once. Uh, that was back in 2007. We're talking the last 10 years. Alexandra Picard, of course, did it once, like 10 days after Malkin. Tavares did it once. Nugent Hopkins did it once. Connor McDavid did it once. But Matthew Barzal has now accomplished the feat of five points in a single game as a rookie twice outstanding what else can we say like what else is there to say about barzel at this point uh i mean if you want me to be classic brian i could say that he scored on half his shots 
the other night and his three assists were all secondary assists. So, you know, he's pretty lucky to get up to five mm-hmm. points, but that's uh, that, that's not actually what I want to say. He's obviously the leading Calder candidate at this point, 15 goals, 29 assists, 44 points in 44 games. He has four more points than the next best rookie Brock Besser, who has played three fewer games though. So there's a chance he can be caught. And from there you're looking at Clayton Keller, Danton Heinen, Yanni Gord oh, as the next. Huh? Yeah. Like forget about those guys. It's going to be between Besser and Barzil for sure. Yeah, and then the only rookies who have seen more ice this year than Barzil are McAvoy, Keller, and a defenseman in Philadelphia, Robert Hag. Huh, interesting. Okay, (laughs) let's move on. Okay, Paul Stasny is another hot streak guy I want to talk about. He's back on the run that he was at the start of the year. In St. Louis, he has six points in his last five games. He had a goal and assist versus Florida before the bye week. He was playing on line one and the top power play. with And on line one, by the way, on St. Louis, this is shaking around a lot. But at least in the last game, it was Stasny, Tarasenko, and Ivan Barbashev. So maybe it's Ivan. It's probably Ivan, right? Whichever way it is that I'm saying it, it's probably the other thing. But anyway, Stasny's up to 55-point pace on the season. If you had to guess right now where he's going to end up at the end of the year, would you say higher, lower, or equal to 55 points? 55 seems about right, actually, for Paul Stasny. I'm not going to go out on a limb here. He is available in a lot of leagues because he was cold for a while, and he's certainly worth adding or at least considering over your bottom roster player. And if Stasny can hang on the top power play unit a little more consistently than he has this year, I'd like him for a touch more than 55, maybe even 60. But until I see that or know that's going to happen for sure, 55 seems about right. Okay, and then got to mention Barbashev, who's on, like I said, the top line with Tarasenko, not the top power play, but he's really been enjoying this spot. He's got a goal and four assists in his last three games. Brian, got to do it. Who is Ivan Barbashev? And how does he rank to you among like Chris Kunitz and Benoit Pouliot in the random first liner rankings? Barbashev, a 22-year-old out of Russia, was the third pick of the second round in 2014. St. Louis drafted him with a pick that was acquired from Edmonton when the Blues sent David Perrin packing and he became an oiler. Barbashev was projected over at Dauber Prospects to be capable of a top six winger role, but has yet to show much scoring acumen at the AHL or NHL level up until the last couple games. He had no points in 14 games, playing just 12 minutes a night before finally breaking through but only 12 points in 30 games last year as well so we've seen about half a season from him in which well he did almost nothing albeit with subpar deployment so I'm keeping an open mind I like the Blues top line in offense so I'll actually feel okay streaming in Barbashev Actually, something funny that I picked up on when you were talking about Barbashev, you mentioned how the Oilers made that trade for David Perron. That's another guy that I don't, he's like gone under the radar. Another player doing amazingly this year that Edmonton could have had. So that's fun to just keep on piling on the Oilers and all the fun personnel decisions they've made. Brian, here's a blast from the past. This is like Benoit Pouliot, but even more so. How about Lee Stempniak? He's back in the NHL. He's back on the Hurricanes. He had a goal today. He's got two points now since returning. He's been really fantasy relevant in the past. He's like in multiple seasons of Keaton Carlson been brought up as like someone that like doesn't seem like he should be worth owning, but he keeps putting up points. Do you have him on your watch list at this point? Like, and even to make him more appealing, and this is obviously unfortunate, but Sebastian Ajo got injured today for Carolina. So like, we don't know how severe that injury will be. And now the Hurricanes don't play for a while. So we'll have to wait and see. But if Ajo's out long-term, that could open up a spot for Lee Stempniak to potentially get on the top line, get on the top power play. It's possible, right? It's possible. I just don't know how much that benefits Lee Stempniak since Sebastian Ajo sure seems a lot like the straw that stirs the drink for Carolina's offense. So getting a boost because Ajo is out 
doesn't necessarily mean that you get to produce a similar amount of offense. As for if he's going to be fantasy relevant this year, I give Lee Stempniak kind of a meh. Like, there's very little to go on. He had 40 points last year, took fewer than two shots per game. So we'll see what he makes of his first couple weeks of game time this year. He did miss the first half, for anyone who's wondering, with hip and upper body injuries. Elon, some Lee Stempniak trivia for you. How many teams has Lee Stempniak played for since we began the podcast in 2013-14? I feel like five, at least. Higher. (laughs) Seven? Seven teams. How many can you name? Well, I know he was on New Jersey. Oh, I'm just going to embarrass myself here. Carolina, obviously. Uh, Calgary. I remember he got there. We were excited about him being potentially on that top line. I don't know. This is probably boring. Tell us the rest. Calgary, Pittsburgh, the Rangers, the Jets, Devils, Bruins, and now the Hurricanes. And he's only 34. So there's a chance. I mean, he's been banged up quite a bit. But there's a chance we see him on an eighth or ninth NHL team. Wouldn't that be something? He's the oh. new, he's the modern day Mike Sillinger. I mean, he's like the modern day Lee Stemniak. Like, I, like he <laughs> is, I think, the bar. Like he's been everywhere and he still continues to produce. I expect good things moving forward on Carolina. I'll bet you he'll be added in a few couple divisions before the season is done. All right, Brian, I've got a couple more players to get to. We also have our amazing guest, Steve Laidlaw here. But before we get to that, let's thank another sponsor of this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. And those are our friends over at FanDuel Daily fantasy hockey, you know it. It's a blast. It's so much fun. You could set your lineup every day. You pick a whole new team in regular fantasy. Sometimes you can be really frustrated. Like like I was saying, when we dropped Ryan O'Reilly, then someone else picked him up. Theoretically, we could have never gotten Ryan O'Reilly back. And then I would have been like, oh, I knew he'd be good. And now I don't have him. But you can play him in daily fantasy. And it's really fun when a player's on a cold streak. That's a really good chance to play him in your roster that day because you get him for a little bit cheaper. So we really love playing daily fantasy on FanDuel. We've been doing a weekly FanDuel league with our listeners. We took a couple weeks off we actually had a matchup last week though with some of our patrons it was a lot of fun brian i came in fifth place i really thought i had a chance this week but patron ryan destroyed because that was the day when chicago destroyed ottawa eight to two obviously i should have known to take a bunch of blackhawks against the league's worst team the ottawa senators and of course i just say that just to needle all the sense fans that's definitely arguable but yeah he had nick schmaltz and patrick kane and ryan hartman and jordan osterley so of course he won great job ryan and we're gonna have another listener league this week right brian We sure are. If you want to be there for when Elon tells everyone how stacked his team is and then you just cruise right past him in the standings, you can join our Keeping Carlson Listener League this week by heading over to fanduel.com slash Carl. Registration or sign up. Registration sounds way too formal. Sign up for our contest is going to open Tuesday morning and we're going to play on Tuesday night's games. So come get in on the action Beat Elon, lose to me at fanduel.com slash Carl. That's fanduel.com slash K-A-R-L. All right. So without further ado, we've got Steve Laidlaw here, the managing editor, which is the top editor. That's a big deal, guys, over at DauberHockey.com. He writes daily ramblings. He's a big contributor to the guide. And Dauber Hockey has released a mid-season guide. And Steve's going to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show once again, Steve. Howdy, fellas. Uh, how's everyone doing? Great. Great. <laughs> Steve, are you you're a Vikings fan, right? Uh, nope, but uh, that's probably the closest NFL team to my neck of the woods. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm uh, I'm a Ravens fan, and we were pretty terrible this year. But uh, that that was quite the game, uh, the the NFL game to uh, this this evening. What a huge finish! It happened while we were on the air. Elon has zero interest in it though, so let's not bore him anymore. Elon, what do you want to talk? So we have the we have the Dauber midseason guide coming out. Steve, do you want to just give us a quick 
overview of what we can find in the guide. And then Elon and I are going to get it to you with some of our second half questions. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, the guide is fairly straightforward. It's a, it's a new fantasy guide for the final three months of the season. So, you know, uh, every year for the last 10 years, Dauber's put out a mid-season guide and it's all about having updated projections for the final 40 or so uh, odd games of the year. So that uh, that allows us to, to uh, you know, kind of move and adapt to kind of the trends of the season. So um, players who before the season started, we maybe weren't uh, on the radar as much as we would have hoped for um, or getting pushed into roles where, you know, beyond what we thought they were capable of. Now we've got a chance to update the projection for them and that can help give you a little bit more information and edge in your pool. That's uh, that's what we're all about. So that's, that's the main content of it is, uh, is getting the, those updated projections, but obviously, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a few little tidbits. Um, multi-category stuff is, is what I focused on in the guide. So players who, who could offer you a little bit more or a little bit less than, you know, what you were hoping for in your multi-category leagues, um, um, and then, you know, there's tidbits in there on prospects and goalies and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's really useful. Like everyone and their grandmother is out buying fantasy hockey guides to start the season. It's like the tool that you need to help you going into your draft. So I feel like a lot of people then assume once the season started, you're just going to go in and like look at the stats from earlier in the year and make your decisions moving forward. But it's really handy to have an updated list of projections that you could refer to when making some of your more long-term ad job projections. So uh so I'm so used to saying so, Brian. So Steve, I'm really curious to get into some of these players who people might be thinking of in one way and you might have another way. Like, for example, there were a lot of players that you were really high on and everyone was really high on going into the season that have disappointed. Can you maybe share some players that in the guide and in your opinion, you expect to bounce back from a bad first half and do a lot better in the second half of the year? We, I guess we mentioned a couple on the podcast, like Ocposo and Felino are in better positions after having a terrible first half. Curious to know what names you have on your list. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we could start off. We could talk about uh, the big three defensemen that uh, that everyone's uh, you know kind of been upset with: uh, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Dustin Bufflin. Uh, I would say most folks, you know, took those guys in the top fifty of their drafts and uh, haven't gotten the results that they were hoping for. Um, we've already seen Burns and, and the Sharks uh, turning things around the past month or so, so I don't think anyone would be shocked to see. Burns having a huge second half. Um, Carlson should be better. I mean, the Sens suck, and he's he's probably been dealing with some injury issues. But uh, you know, we expect more, and I, I would still be treating him like one of the best uh, fantasy defensemen out there, especially with Headman due to be on the shelf for a little while. Um, and then Bufflin, we've already started to see him turn it around now that he's finally got uh, got his uh, first goal of the season under his belt. So um, more goals should flow. He should. He should still get to 10 goals on the year. So those would be three right off the top. Um, you know, we, we always look at uh, players who are big second half performers. So we've already seen Dougie Hamilton starting to pick it up in, uh, in the second half um, uh, of late. And uh, that should continue all the way through to the end of the season. Um, Mark Giordano has kind of stolen away the uh, the top uh, power play gig from TJ Brody in Calgary. So that's, uh, you know, the past month, Giordano's production's been trending upward. A few other guys I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Mika Zibanejad, 
he he's been he's been pretty bad since returning from injury uh concussion you know you never know how that's going to affect a player um and he's been you know he's been bad coming off of injury uh in in the past before as well so that's concerning but uh certainly he's in a spot to be the uh the number one centerman on the Rangers and their power play was really good to start the year. It hasn't been that good of late. Um, if that picks up again, we're going to see Zabanajad score at, you know, roughly a 65, 70 point pace in the second half. So that, that'd be really good. And he, he pounds pucks at the net. So he's going to be a really good shot volume option. Another one that I'm really excited about, uh, Kyle Palmieri, another guy who is uh, really banged up, but he's getting top power play minutes. He's another guy who, you know, he can really thump the puck. So you're going to get lots of shot volume and goal opportunity. So those are, those are kind of bounce back guys I'd be looking for. Brent Burns. It's funny going back to when he was struggling to start the year. Elon, I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you do. We were like, well, Paul Martin's coming back soon. Maybe that's <laughs> going to fix him. Maybe that'll we, be the key. We did not. You you said that. <laughs> well, no. So I was just like blue skying it completely to see if that was going to be it. And now there's like, he, it seems as though he's done in San Jose that he's not happy with his role there and he's going to be moved before long, but Brent Burns doesn't need him. So that's okay. Steve, let me just ask you about one more defenseman since you were uh, rolling through a couple bouncing back from a bad first half is one thing. Here's a player who had a great first quarter and has done very little in the second quarter. Which one do you better think represents Kevin Shattenkirk? who's been stone cold lately, just really testing the patience of anybody who has them on their team, even though he was handsomely rewarding them to start his tenure as a New York Ranger. Can I say both? Because the the reality of the fantasy season is, um, especially with defensemen, because the margins are so much lower, um, you you know, a a really good scoring forward is going to get you 60 to 70 points. Uh, You know, a top tier defenseman gets you 50. So, you know, we're talking about a different animal. So, Kevin Shattenkirk could go through 20 game spell with two points and he could still get the 50 points easily. So uh, the reality is there's going to be upswings and downswings. I mean, if a guy gets 50 points, you can guarantee there's going to be 32 games in the season, at least where he didn't get a point because that's just the nature of the beast. So, you you know, you have to be able to ride the ebbs and flows of uh, defensive production a little bit more. And that's why there are very few defensemen who hit the bar for me for being rostered on a, a nightly basis uh, for the full 82 games. I mean, even a guy like uh, Will Butcher, who has had a really good first half, but is, you know, he's trending downward and he doesn't have a whole lot of shot volume. You know, I, I think he's not going to be as good in the second half, be it the rookie wall or just be it the fact that, you know, maybe he not may not be as fortunate uh, recording points at, at the rate that he has been. Certainly not a guy who gets a ton of minutes and with almost no shot volume from Butcher, he's going to be a guy who in the second half, if he only scores at, you know, a, a 35 point pace uh, over the final 41 games, then he's not going to be worth owning on a nightly basis and so a guy like Shattenkirk he's going to give you a little bit more shot volume a little bit better chance of getting to that 50 point pace on a more of a nightly basis so he's he's going to be more productive over the long haul so I think you know you have to ride the ebbs and flows uh, with defensemen a little bit more yeah but Shattenkirk man like definitely someone that we were expecting big things from he was sort of known as like one of the best power play defensemen in the league. And it is surprising how he's gone so cold. You mentioned earlier that Mika Zibanejad, you expect to have a better second half. I'd imagine that their fortunes are going to be tied together. Like, are the Rangers going to get these power play points? Like, have they been hurt by Chris Kreider being injured? Or is that just sort of like a correlation thing? And, you know, they were looking not that great even before that. 
Uh, I definitely think that uh, Kreider being out is a part of that. I mean, you know, he's a part of their top line, um, but also a top of the uh, part of the top power play unit. And, you know, he's one of the best net front guys in the league. He's very good at uh, creating space in front of the net, generating screens and uh, very, very good at getting tips on net. So, you know, for a guy like Shattenkirk, he can get pucks through very well. And if you're losing a guy like Kreider, who's going to be able to tip those pucks, there's a lot of assists that are probably getting left on the table because of that. But I mean, you you can't have a Rangers conversation and not talk about the fact that Pavel Buchnevich is their most dynamic offensive talent and he's being underutilized. So if they don't figure that situation out, then, you know, every player on the Rangers is going to underachieve relative to what they did uh, in the first quarter and relative to what they could probably do the rest of the season. All right, let's look at the flip side of the coin. Players who have had a really strong first half that you don't think that they can keep it up. And maybe just as a prelude to naming some of those players, you can let us know what you look for. We've shared a lot with our listeners, what we look for to see if something's unsustainable. But what are the red flags that you see when you see a player achieving and you think, no, that's not going to continue any longer? Yeah, the number one things that you're going to look at is uh, shooting percentage, on-ice shooting percentages, shot rates, you know, are they trending up, trending down, time on ice, power play opportunity, that sort of thing. So, you know, we could look at a guy like Nick Letty, who had a very, very good first quarter and has basically been useless ever since. I mean, his plus minus is heading into Ekman Larson territory. He's, you know, he's not producing points considering the Islanders are still scoring at a huge rate. He's no longer getting in on the points at the same rate that he was to start the year. His shot rate is declining. He's no longer on pace uh, for over 200 shots. He's going to be lucky if he gets to 180. So uh, that's on the decline. He's back to, you know, more defenseman 150 shot defenseman that he was last season instead of you know trending towards 55 60 points and 200 plus shots so he's trending into territory where he's not going to be as useful as he once was and certainly um you know the nick letty that we had last year was not a guy who was necessarily worth rostering for 82 games you know like i talked before without huge shot volume you've got to ride out a bunch of goose eggs and for nick letty uh we're looking at the past month or so it's been a lot of goose eggs and a whole lot of uh of failure to shoot the puck as much as uh we would like to see and so he's heading into territory where try to trade him before his value becomes not useful enough to you um, to be able to get anything out of him. Um, I already talked about Will Butcher is another guy I think will decline. We can look at the, you know, the massive, the massive shooting percentage guys like William Carlson, uh, Alex Kerfoot, pains me to say, but the Brock Best Monster, those guys are all probably going to see their shooting percentages uh, fall off a little bit in the second half. I mean, certainly Carlson's not going to keep scoring on a quarter of his shots you would presume. Yeah, I mean, Brian has been getting burned all season long projecting that the Vegas Golden Knights players are going to slow down. And then when they don't, it's kind of embarrassing. So it's hard to say that William Carlson is going to slow down, but you'd have to think, like you say, the shooting percentage seems unsustainable. And yeah, Nick Letty, I mean, you know there's a problem when the Islanders 
beat New Jersey five to four, and then the Rangers seven to two. And Letty has no points to show for it in either of those games. How frustrating is it as an owner of a player when your team scores so many goals and then you get nothing? Very, very frustrating. So yeah, some definitely interesting names there. Brock Besser. Yeah, I guess with guys like that, like obviously you're not saying they're not going to be worth owning anymore. Like you kind of said that about Will Butcher and there's and maybe Nick Letty, but a guy like Besser or William Carlson, I guess the idea is just to try to sell high, like see if you can get someone who you expect to be more sustainable moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it's buy low, sell high. You know, it's it's all about finding um, the right fit for those things. So, I mean, if you can't sell high on William Carlson because everyone thinks he's going to regress, well, then you just ride it out. And when his production starts to fall off, be ready to jump ship, right? Because if you're in a head-to-head league, that last month of the season, it's win or you're out. So... You know, there's no clinging to what William Carlson did to get you into the fantasy playoffs. If he's not producing in that last month, you've got to jump ship and get on board with someone more productive. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Well, so that, I guess, leads to the next question. Like, if you're trying to sell high on someone, I guess the next sort of list of players I'd be interesting to hear about is players who you're looking to as potential second-half breakouts. Like, you know, we had guys like Gensel last year who came out of nowhere and surprised us all. Who do you see as someone... Like, I guess the obvious answer could be, like, Daniel Sprong, who's now in that Gensel spot. But, like, aside from the Pittsburgh Penguins, like, who are you seeing as players that are going to surprise us, like, not even on our radar now or maybe just came onto our radar? I did mention Lee Stempniak just recently maybe he's the guy but okay who do you have on that list my number one second half guy is probably Pierre-Luc Dubois I I love how he's fitting in on Columbus as their number one centerman I I don't know that they're still in the market for another centerman he's he's fitting in really well there um their power play is no longer a joke it's it's just run-of-the-mill bad and that's fine (laughs) you you know you can get production out of -of run-of-the-mill bad you know suddenly guys who were looking at only getting eight power play points despite playing over three minutes on the power play uh per game now they're looking at getting like 15 so that's that really changes the dynamic for what a player can produce suddenly a guy can get 12 minutes a night uh of five on five on five play score like I don't know, somewhere between a first liner and a second liner. But if he's getting 15 power play points, then he can score at, at the 60 point level. And uh, that's kind of about the rate that Pierre-Luc Dubois has, has been producing at for the past month. And he's also up near three shots on goal per game. And so if that continues in the second half, he's going to be, you know, one of the top fantasy guys uh, to own. And, and he's definitely flying under the radar. A couple other guys that I really like people have finally, um, you know, sniff this one out, but Miko Rantanen, last time I checked, he was leading in power play time on ice per game. Obviously, you're getting exposure to Nathan McKinnon's superstar breakout, um, and Rantanen's a big part of that. I don't think that McKinnon breaks out to this level without Rantanen helping him. Um, you know, he's a former lottery pick himself. We were all excited about him uh, when he was a prospect coming up, and now he's he's breaking out uh, in his own way. Um, he could sniff the 70-point level. You know, I think he's on pace for that, and and certainly it wouldn't be a surprise if he continued that pace. Nick Schmaltz has been picking it up of late. Um, over the past couple of weeks, he's uh, he started to produce for 
the considerable number of chances he gets, you know, he's, he's been glued to, uh, to Patrick Kane all season. And we're finally starting to see the fruits of that. Andreas Athanasiu is, uh, is starting to emerge. I think he's been up uh, at the 20 minute mark the past seven games, you know, they're, they're attaching him to Dylan Larkin, which is just a terrifying thought. If you're trying to uh, prevent someone from, from gaining the zone, you got Larkin and Athanasiu coming, bearing down at you. I mean, that's, that's, that's a neutral zone cheat code right there. If, uh, if I've ever heard of one. So um, his shot volume is skyrocketing uh, over these past seven games. We're talking up near four shots on goal per game uh, over that stretch. And, you know, he's getting some points out of it as well. I don't know if you guys had any comments on these players before uh, jumping into a few more. Yeah, well, I'll just actually ask you. I mean, you're mentioning Andres Athanasiu, two assists today, which is fantastic. Dylan Larkin having a season, which we've talked about at least a couple times uh, over the last few weeks. So you think that what Dylan Larkin's doing now is sustainable? Is this the real Dylan Larkin? Because we've seen Jekyll and Hyde in his rookie and sophomore seasons trying to figure out still exactly where he lands. Yeah, I, I don't think that Dylan Larkin is necessarily a point-per-game guy at this point. I don't know if there's enough support structure around there in Detroit, but certainly there's something to be said for players uh, getting opportunities on bad teams. So Athanasiu and Larkin are probably going to get all the minutes they can handle um, as the season wears on, maybe Detroit find some buyers for some of their guys who aren't helping them win at this stage, but could help some other teams win. And if they do that, that's just going to mean more minutes, more opportunity for these guys. And, you know, we've seen that Detroit, you know, despite um, considerable reasons to do so, uh, they're not willing to completely throw it into the tank. So I think that while they're not going to be a playoff team. They're going to continue to try to be competitive uh, all season. And there's something to be said for uh, your a team's ability to do that and keep players fantasy relevant. Yeah. And it's funny, like one player on Detroit who was looking like he wasn't going to be getting opportunities is Anthony Mantha, who was like down on the fourth line, but he's actually on a really nice run right now. He's got five points in his last five games. So you're right. Like there's lots of potential value from Detroit in the second half and all of them might be available in your league. We haven't even mentioned like guys like Nyquist and even this guy Bertuzzi who's doing well. So yeah, lots of names there. I know Brian, you probably want to brag about Mrazic having a shutout today. Good for him. Very nice. Uh, Okay. So Steve, you said you had some more names that you wanted to throw out there for this second half breakout. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just touching on Mantha there, um, he he was going through a a stretch where he was really banged up and, you know, probably shouldn't have even been playing. So um, he's definitely a a higher end talent uh, who should remain productive um, barring more injury type situations. So, you know, he, he had those struggles and, Probably a bunch of people dumped him to the waiver wire because of that injury. But if he's healthy, he'll be productive. A um, couple more names. I really like what I've seen out of uh, Jacob Chikrin. I mean, he's certainly he's not going to displace uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, and you know maybe that's a good thing. Maybe uh, not having to play all those tough minutes is going to be uh, very good for Chikrin. I mean, he's he's playing over twenty minutes a night. He's getting second unit power play time. Uh, he's piling up shot totals we're talking you know over two and a half per game and he's close to that uh that 40 point pace uh through i think he's only at 16 games um but he's scoring at roughly a half point per game uh in those games 
should be flying under the radar because he missed most of the first half of the season with injury. But, uh, he, you know, he was certainly had some stretches of productivity last season. And, you know, we've seen he fall off the face of the earth. But Chikrin's still there kind of, you know, chipping away at, uh, at, a, at a, a nice slow pace. But uh, he's, he's doing quite well there. Who else do I have? I think uh, Jared Spurgeon, he was, you know, he was inching towards uh, a breakout in the first half. Um, didn't quite happen. Got banged up. Just about everyone on, on the wild has gotten a bit banged up. Now he's back. You know, he's he's battling with uh, Matt Dumba for kind of the second minutes um, behind Ryan Suter. But uh, really the key is, is he, who's on the top line with Ryan Suter and then who's uh, who's getting the top power play minutes and you know, Spurgeon's back, uh, back in the driver's seat on that front. So, um, he's averaging about two shots per game. It, basically you're looking at, uh, a Nick Letty-esque type situation, um, just in terms of what he might produce. So what you expected out of Nick Letty coming into this season, it's looking like what Jared Spurgeon could provide for you now. And that's really good. It just may not be very good, uh, on, on a nightly basis. So, if the wild can pick it up, finally get healthy, maybe he does. He provides a little bit more for you. I really like uh, Shea Theodore, what he's done in the last month. So, I mean, you know, we, we talked about how Vegas should, should regress a little bit. Well, here's a player who could maybe offer you a little bit more um, than what he's given you already. Speaking of Shea Theodore, the Golden Knights play four times this week. Elon and I were mentioning some good bye week ads. If he happens to be available in your league, Go for it. Another Golden Knight, Elon, one of the few with scoring potential who still might be available in your league. How about Alex Tuck? Take him for a spin. See how he does. Steve, I just want to rewind before we ask you where to get the guide. I want to rewind. There's one question I wanted to ask you back when you were talking about Miko Rantanen. Between he and Landis Gog, I want to know who you pick for the rest of this year and who you pick in a keeper league between them. Uh, that would definitely depend on categories, but if we're talking pure points, Ranton in by far and away the better option. Landeskog looked like he might be dead in the water until jumping in as the uh, the third wheel on that line. So he's the lowest skill guy on that line. So he he would be basically the Anders Lee, the Patrick Hornfist, Hornfist type on, on a line like that. So certainly. Um, we're talking probably a higher goal total um, just because he's getting to the net front a lot more, but uh, not necessarily the higher uh, point total because he's, he's not going to be touching the puck as much. Thank you. Very interesting. Thinking Landis Gog's a third wheel. I don't know that that's where I land. Like I'm still uh, open to Landis Gog, but of course, uh, based on what he's shown us for the last season and a half before this one, or maybe even more than that, uh, legit, viewpoint steve uh thanks a lot for joining us on the show tell us where uh like we've talked about this mid-season guide which is essentially we're resetting your fantasy guide that you bought in september with 40 games of data so you've got good info in there how can our listeners get their hands on it uh yeah uh slash shop it's available for ten bucks. It's a it's a PDF to download, so you can you know any device. It's going to be uh, usable on there. If anyone is a a uh, hockey pool geek uh, user, a fantasy hockey geek user, um, those uh, projections are also going to be uploaded onto there. So that way. Um, you can help uh, game 
game your categories that much better with uh, with up to date projections, so that you can look. You know, if you're in a multi category pool, you'll be able to to use those upgraded projections to uh, to figure out who's going to be best in the second half of your league. Yeah, I love Fantasy Hockey Geek. I use it a lot when I'm preparing for my drafts. Then I kind of forget about it midway through the season. But you're right. Like, just put in the projections. You can always change them on Fantasy Hockey Geek and, like, change the projections to be your own custom projections and see. Because it's very difficult. Not only do you have to consider the different categories in your league, you also have to consider the different position eligibilities. Like, if your league requires you to roster six defensemen, that's very different than if you only have to roster four. So that's a really great tool. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Jared Spurgeon, I don't get it. Like, he's still available as a free agent in so many leagues. It's like, he's great. He's really reliable. Top power play, top pairing on a team that scores goals. Come on, go grab Jared Spurgeon. And Brian Alex Tuck, interesting call. He reminds me of a Nick Felino. He's on a crappy even strength line. He's been playing with Brendan Leipzig and Cody Eakin, but top power play with Carlson and Marcia so and Riley Smith. So yeah, he could definitely help you, especially if you need power play points. I guess, Steve, I've got a couple other players I wanted to bring up before I end of the show if you want to stick around with us, or if not, you know, definitely it was amazing to have you. But maybe you can share your opinion. You can compare to what Brian says. But I wanted to bring up just a couple quick injury updates to end the show. We've got Shea Weber, who we already knew he was injured, but now it's looking like he's going to be doubtful to return from his foot injury before the All-Star break, which is still a couple weeks away. So with the Habs playing a sweet Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday schedule next week, I would definitely recommend jumping on Jeff Petrie. He went cold for a bit, even with Weber out, but he now has three assists in his last two games, including two points on the power play. And like aside from manning the top power play, Petrie is also good for a couple hits and blocks in most games. So I feel like especially for next week with a good schedule, you got to jump on Jeff Petrie in most leagues. Yeah, Weber's been out longer than we thought. A month ago, Shea Weber, we thought he was going to play. There's a report. I went back to find it. Shea Weber is going to play Thursday. That was like December 7th, and he has not played since then. No clarity on the timeline either, so that's concerning. Uh, That makes Petrie a worthy ad as someone who's quarterbacking a top power play unit. He's going to offer you more shots than blocks, but hey, who's complaining if you can add him for free? Yeah, and I guess I should ask Steve, actually, the Habs have been one of these teams that have been so disappointing. What do you guys have in the guide for them in the second half? Like, are you guys expecting guys like Pacioretty and even like Carey Price to have a bounce back? Or do you think the second half is going to be a lot like the first? Well, I would suggest that uh, that maybe folks should pick up the guide and uh, and see for themselves. But uh, certainly, <laughs> I, I personally believe that Pacioretty is still probably going to get within sniffing range of 30 goals. He's he's too good not to to get to that level. Whether or not he gets traded is uh, is another question. But uh, I, I think that they've got enough secondary offensive talent there that they should be able to string together some decent offense. And um, one interesting question is. Um, at what point does uh, Weber's injury become something where they consider just shutting him down for the rest of the year? Yeah, definitely something to keep watch for. I like how, yeah, you don't want to give everything away for free on this podcast. Guys, go out, spend the 10 bucks, get the guide. You'll be happy you did. Uh, okay, one more injury, which again is one we already discussed, but it's looking like it's going to be longer than expected. Semyon Varlamov's groin will also not be ready for a couple of weeks at least. Jonathan Bernay has been amazing in his absence, a five-game win streak right now. Brian and see like how confident would you be in Bernier? Like let's say if it turns out Varlamov's out for like a month or whatever, like does Bernier then become a must add? Like we already were talking about Colorado and these guys like Rantanen, who by the way, Brian, I think that's crazy that you asked Rantanen versus Landis Cobb. Like, to me, it's obviously Rantanen. I know sometimes you like to take a long time before you're ready to like pass the torch to the next guy. But anyway, like Jonathan Bernier, like I feel like he looks like a really good ad. He's obviously on a good run right now, but I still just remember him letting in like eight goals in the game last year and totally screwing me over. Like I just feel like he's always a ticking time 
time bomb where he can go and blow a week for you. Should I just get over it? Is he like clearly a good guy to own right now? Mm, maybe. Like you said, what are the chances that he's going to help you? I, they could be pretty good. I, I haven't changed my answer much from last time you asked me about Jonathan Bernier. But now that we know he's going to have the net for the near future, I mean, if you need a starter, why not? He probably beats the starting options on Buffalo, Ottawa, Arizona, maybe also Detroit. I'd call him perhaps even with anyone starting for Vancouver or Carolina. So that puts him, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the around the 20th best starter option which is pretty good if you can pick him up for free off free agency and get an upgrade above what your opponent might be rolling with that week yeah colorado does play three times next week so could be valuable and also one more guy i want to mention before we end the show curious to know both of your thoughts on sam gerard who you know tyson barry's still injured another guy who by the way we haven't really heard much about when he's going to be back but it's a hand injury it's probably more predictable of like how long it'll take to heal but yeah gerard has six assists in his last six games and he's been getting a lot of power play time five of those six points have come on the power play and colorado like i said plays three times next week i feel like sam gerard could be a good ad if he's available is he someone that you see as another good potential breakout for the second half of the season there's definitely some potential there. I mean, you know, you talked about his scoring in the past six games and of course they're on a six game winning streak. So everyone looks great uh, under those circumstances, uh, including Bernier. Um, So the question is uh, what happens when the other shoe drops, you know, they lose a game and suddenly, I don't know, they're the mediocre abs team. That's, much better than they were last year, but are they necessarily um, a, a top team? I, I think Gerard's going to be valuable as long as uh, Tyson Berry's out. So certainly a guy you could add for, I don't know, until a couple of weeks after the all-star break, maybe. And he's going to get you some exposure to uh, some assists, but uh, not a huge shot volume guy and still not a huge minutes guy, even with Barry out. So more interesting uh, if you're in a multi-category league, uh, Eric Johnson and uh, Nikita Zadorov, um, those guys are playing huge minutes, piling up hits, blocks and uh, shots. So those guys have... Uh, would have more use to you in a multi-category league than Gerard, even with Gerard's uh, top power play usage um, in, in terms of potential to break out next year. I mean, we'll see what the avalanche decide to do with, uh, with Tyson Berry going forward. I know he's kind of been on the ins and outs um, depending on who's been in charge uh, over the past few years. So I think they're going to keep him around and that kind of puts Gerard into a, a number two situation. So how much offense can Tyson Yost help provide as a secondary option to kind of give these guys more than one line and and the capability to have more than one defenseman be uh, really fantasy relevant uh, across the board. Rest of season and Steve, I'm really taking advantage of you being here because usually I have to answer these questions from Elon. I'm passing the buck to you here. Rest of season, Sam Girard or Jordan Osterley? Oh, good gravy. I would say none of the above because I don't think either of those guys is going to be productive enough to to carry the weight. But certainly, um, Gerard's probably the guy right now with uh, the Blackhawks going on their bye week. And then uh, we'll wait and see what shakes out after the All-Star break. Um, Osterley's probably 
going to be the better option uh, longer term just because of the way that they've been using them on the top pairing. And again, multi-category leagues, you know, more hits, blocks, uh, shots on goal, that sort of thing. But I, I don't think either one's going to be uh, a guy that you would roster um, in your average league from now until game 82. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like you said the same thing about Will Butcher before, who's on the top power play. So if you're not going to roster him, then you wouldn't be definitely rostering Osterley or Sam Girard guaranteed. But anyways, at least for next week, take a look at Girard with a decent schedule. I was going to, Brian, ask you about Kevin Shattenkirk. You already asked Steve about it. So you passed the buck there as well. Yeah, only one assist in his last 10 games. I Let's just say for Shattenkirk, Rangers play four games next week. If you're a Shattenkirk owner and you're listening, obviously hold him for these next four games and let's see how he does. And then let's talk about him next week. Okay, Brian? And so with that, I guess we can end the show. This has been a really fun one, like great talk at the start. Brian, you did a great job. And then Steve, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about the guide and giving us all of your projections. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and listen to catch all those names that you threw out there. And of course, get the guide at DauberHockey.com. So, okay, thanks to everyone for listening. We're obviously going to be back to you every Sunday with another live episode. If you like the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'd always, of course, appreciate a five-star review on iTunes if you'd be so kind. If you are interested in some bonus content, you could check out our Patreon program over at Patreon, keepingcarlson.com slash Patreon. We just did a 90-minute Patreon cast last week where we answered all the questions of our patrons, and we had a lot of fun. So you could get that and a whole bunch of other bonus content by checking out keepingcarlson.com slash Patron. Also, for anyone interested, I actually, Brian, appeared on another podcast. Is that allowed, or are you jealous? Jealous, but allowed. Podcast bigamy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's just <laughs> Kevin Carlson isn't enough to hold me. So I did an interview on the Fantasy Benefits podcast, Friends with Fantasy Benefits. It was a really fun chat. We chatted about. I was basically the Brian here, where I was being asked my thoughts on a bunch of players. I think I did okay. I don't know. I'm no uh, player projection pundit or maestro of the matchup or Corsi authority, but I did my best. So definitely check that out. We tweeted out a link to that episode, and yeah, we had a fun chat. That's another like 90 minutes. There's a lot of content out there aside from this episode. If you want to check it out, but okay, with that, let's cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and supported by our patrons including our newest ones frederick v chris c and welcome back alex c and some of our oldest ones who've just hit the three-year mark thank you very much to joey s chris j and stream schemes own dave betton this episode of the podcast was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. And thanks again for joining us. Steve, people could follow you at Steve Laidlaw on Twitter. Great follow. Lots of interesting takes. And obviously, you can check out that guide. Okay, that's it. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Take care, fellas. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun.